Well, I have to start by saying I think you actually pride yourself on coming up with something to shock me every single time we um, <laughs> do an interview together. Hi, I'm Claudia and you're listening to The Brain and Brand Show, where you'll hear science and inspiration from guests like neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. Hey guys, welcome to The Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice. And this is the podcast designed to help you use behavioral psychology and neuroscience to apply to your personal and organizational goals. It's both my passion and the center of my career. I'm interested in how humans and brands intersect and influence each other, how you can grow your personal and organizational influence in order to have a greater impact in society. We're firmly in a new chapter, and I've been thinking a lot about the tools and skills that we'll need to thrive in this complex global environment. So, today I want to share a conversation about optimizing and building healthier relationships with MIT Sloan neuroscientist, Dr. Tara Swart, author of best-selling books, The Source and Neuroscience for Leadership. I'm sharing this conversation because I feel as the world continues to experience unprecedented disruption, leadership uncertainty, and economic challenges, one of the most important skills you're going to need is learning how to get the most out of those closest to us. Whether these relationships are professional, social, or intimate, they will be tested like never before. Let me put it a bit more bluntly. I'm seeing vital relationships crumble and literally come apart at the seams in a time when we need them the most. To succeed and future position yourself, to enable yourself to tackle the most pressing and challenging conditions, you will need to understand what's driving the people you care about, what their motivations are, what their deeper hidden drivers are, to understand your own mental and emotional impulses, what's causing their hearts and minds and nervous systems to respond the way they do. And that's why I want to bring you this episode about the neuroscience of relationships with neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. Enjoy. Hi, Tara. Hi, Timothy. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us again. If you think about how a few of your key relationships have impacted your career and elevated your brain power. Before we get started, would you like to acknowledge anyone? Oh, that's so kind of you. Um, gosh, I can think of so many people. I think actually what comes to mind is a time that I went through relative adversity, which was when I changed career from being a doctor to becoming a leadership coach and a speaker about neuroscience. And I remember really strongly, like even though I didn't feel it at the time, all of my friends, my long-standing friends from school, from being a doctor, and my husband at the time, um, who is South African, as you know, um, basically said to me, we know that anything you put your mind to, you will make a success of it. And it felt like I just clung on to that for quite a long time until it became real. And just having those people who'd been in my life for a long time, just believing in me and just being so positive massively helped at a time that I actually doubted myself. Awesome. And that's precisely why I wanted to have this conversation because the confidence that you gain from keeping that relationship I and mean, keeping what they told you uh, in your high level of consciousness, really, and even in your subconscious, help sustain you. And I think that's important. And I want everyone to be thinking about as we go through this conversation, or maybe at the end of the conversation, people that you regard as that you probably should send a text to to say thank you for being such a uh, wonderful contribution to your life and also be thinking about people you may want to get rid of. 
Uh, and uh, by the end of this chat, I think you'll understand why uh, both of those streams, extremes are really important. So we hope to do two things today. One is bring to your attention the historical and neuroscientific aspect of relationships. So that's number one. Number two, we hope to bring you a few tips on how to navigate relationships to increase your brain power. So Tara, we are social beings, and perhaps the reason why Solitary confinement, for example, is such a tormenting form of punishment is because it deprives us from engaging relationships, right? Yeah. So actually, interestingly, from an evolutionary perspective, one of the reasons that humans became the most successful animal on the planet, because we weren't always, we at one point coexisted with you know other animals and Neanderthals, and we were no more remarkable than them, is because we can exist in communities of over 100 people. And what you tend to find is that you might actually know 100 to 200 people and 50 of them will people will be people that you'll have contact with over a year at sort of social engagements. So that's about a third of 150. Um, if you're more social, you might know 200. If you're less social, 100. And then a third of the 50, about 15, are people that you would consider close friends that you could call up in the middle of the night if you were really, really suffering or struggling. And so you're right, acknowledging who those 50 people are, maybe thanking them, or even just keeping a list of the people that you know you could turn to if you needed to, is a really, really healthy thing to do for our brains. Awesome. And, you know, when I think of whether the environment is consists of, you know, students who collaborate to work together, whether it is a group of colleagues, whether it is a group of uh, family members, when you're in the middle of those relationships and you're engaging each other, you are triggering cells. You're triggering a lot that's happening inside of us. You know, from a leadership perspective, when we look at history's greatest leaders, such as Nelson Mandela to Steve Jobs, Dr. Martin Luther King, Oprah Winfrey's mm-hmm. key relationships are associated with them. I can't think of Oprah without thinking of Gail. I can't think of Nelson Mandela without thinking of Walter Sisulu. Well, I think that I, I know that um, a sense of belonging is one of the most basic human needs. Um, we can't exist alone. We know that lonely people suffer more in a strong, dense social networks. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, people, your good friends will give you a different perspective to a negative or a narrow perspective that you can get during difficult times. We we always say, you know, that a real friend or you as a leader should help other people to look at the glass half full rather than the glass half empty. Um, the other thing about having good friends around you, people who keep you positive, is that if you look at and imitate resilient people, that actually helps your brain to be more resilient as well. And on the other on the other side of that coin, we know that people who are lonely or lack social support, that they experience more symptoms of dementing diseases like Alzheimer's when they have the same level of brain damage as as somebody else with equivalent damage but less symptoms so you're right the effect on brain cells of relationships either a best friend like you mentioned or just that sort of core of good friends is bigger than we could imagine but on a personal and professional level relationships impact both so if you have a tough relationship at home it's going to impact you at work and vice versa have you seen cases where you've worked with leaders and they are perfectly fine they have great relationships at work they have great relationships um you know uh, from a leadership perspective but their home life struggles and if you've had that what do you recommend 
Well, it actually took me a while to uncover this uh, from the brain science, just going back to what you started with, that giving to others, and I don't mean by money, I mean by helping, by advice, actually decreases stress and cortisol and increases your um, subjective feelings of well-being. So what I started to see with some of the leaders who were clearly under stress was that they could hold it together at work because, you know, there are stricter boundaries about what's appropriate behavior at work. And then they started to reveal that they were much more irritable and snappy when it got to being at home with the children and even with their spouse. Um, so once I realized that that was kind of happening to a few people, I asked directly about it. And this is the thing, you know, when working with leaders, sometimes you need you do need to ask really direct questions to get to the bottom of some of these stress behaviors. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. People who can keep it together at work find that home is the place where tempers flare. Leaders impact the mindset of others as well, chemically and otherwise. Uh, tell us how this happens. Yeah. So there's a phrase called emotional emotional contagion, which people understand, you know, that there are certain individuals or to a room there's just a stressful atmosphere that makes you feel happy. we we have this we sense this emotionally you know if you're stressed or anxious then there's a part of my brain through the sort of mirror neuron um you know philosophy that that emulates that stress or anxiety and i so i put it through my emotional system and i have empathy for you but that means that i also experience it and even through video conference or you know if you watch a video of somebody particularly somebody that you care about experiencing pain or stress, your stress levels, leaders who suppress high levels of the hormone cortisol actually literally infect the atmosphere around them with that cortisol um, and that this then um, affects the stress levels of the people that follow them. So it's a hierarchical thing like the silverback gorilla. His stress levels affect other gorillas more than gorillas of equal standing. We judge people on two main criteria, like in a split second from our brain, and those are warmth and competence. So the competence is, you know, do I feel like this leader knows what they're doing? Yes or no. The warmth thing will be more around not just do I like this leader, but how do they make me feel when I'm around them? Do I feel anxious or do I feel confident? I want to shift to a few tips. I want to I want to offer a few tips on navigating relationships and sort of boosting and sustaining your brain power. Can we come uh -huh. with three sort of power tips? Yeah. So um, the, 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 the top one from the neuroscience point of view would be about trust. So the way that our brains work is if there's any element of fear or caution in our own brain. Other people will pick up on that. So if you want people to trust you, you really have to work on going into a situation really open, open to collaboration, um, dealing with any anxieties or stress that you may have prior to that um, interaction with someone, so an individual or a meeting. So you need to inspire trust to gain trust. That is the absolute top tip from neuroscience. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, actually. Um, the other thing is that leaders are judged as people and also by as brands in the brain. Now, you're the brand expert, um, but so you'll know that followers have a stronger feeling about brands than they do about people. So as a leader, you, you don't only need to think about who am I as a person and will people, you know, like me and want to follow me, but you also need to think about what brand are you role modeling when you walk around the office? Like, are you visible? Do you offer people transparency? Are you seen as a sort of, you know, decisive person or not. So it's really important to think of yourself both as a person and as a brand. 
Um, and then I would say the key skill in terms of boosting your own brain power and others is listening on in the workplace. And I think people talk about this a lot, but let me give you some scientific facts. When you allow other people to talk about themselves, they get a burst of activity in the reward center of the brain, a particular part called the chordate nucleus. Oh, that's why they don't people stop. Will... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Um, but get this. People will actually accept lower pay if they're allowed to talk about themselves at length and reveal personal information. So I think that's quite a top tip for a leader from the neuroscience. That's that's incredible. But, you know, you know, I have to go back to your point number two. Although point number three is probably the most powerful. I have to go back to point number two about this sort of representation that yeah. you have to be conscious of, that you sort of invest in other people's mind. Because that for me is really interesting how whatever sort of form people have of you in their mind, they have a real relationship with that form, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about fictional characters, think about Tell me if this isn't really culturally appropriate, but I was thinking Homer Simpson, you know, from The Simpsons. Yes, yes, yes. He doesn't exist, but you have feelings about him. You know whether you think he's competent or not. You know whether you're warm to him or not. And he's totally a fictional character. So as a leader, of course, you're the person that you are. And you should never forget that. That was another piece of really good advice that I was given when I became a doctor. But you are representing a brand in people's minds. And... Even if you don't like that idea, you have to be aware of it and take it in to your psyche and have it as part of your toolkit. Because not only are you going to be able to be authentic if you think about that properly, but you'll have a better impact on other people if you're mindful of it as well. That explains a lot. It explains why, for example, someone can wake up in the morning, think about their colleagues at work and literally be skipping around their homes with anticipation and excitement because of that sort of frame they have in their mind uh, and how they have their colleagues, their colleagues have branded themselves. And I think that's an extraordinary point. And maybe that's a good way for us to transition uh, to our clothes. In fact, I was thinking about, I'm not sure, Tara, if you've heard of this guy named Armin Wies, who in 2003 was feeling very sort of lonely. He was fairly feeling slightly incompetent. He was feeling that he needed to be more stronger, more articulate, more courageous. And he put out a Google advert and he said he wanted to eat someone who had the traits oh. that he didn't have. He's a German oh. guy. And 200 people replied. And they narrowed it down. Oh. He narrowed it down to a guy named um, Bern Bernard Brands, who had everything he yeah. wanted. They met for a candlelight dinner, and they decided they were going to go through yeah. with it. So Armin Weeds put a knife in him, and he put cut part of his arm off, uh, put it into oh. a frying pan with some olive oil and garlic, you know, got out some fine red wine, and began to eat him. He cut up the rest of his body, put it in the freezer next to the pizza, and... Um, when every month, every sort of week or so, he got out of a different body part, etc. After six months, after eating him, he felt more articulate and more courageous. He got what he wanted by digesting him. So from a neuroscience perspective, you know, thinking about, I don't want anybody to leave this podcast and go cut someone and eat them. But relationships are that powerful. But I, w I would say that from a spiritual perspective, I believe we're actually designed to eat each other. Not physically, but we're designed to eat uh, the generosity characteristic sort of behaviors 
eat your smile. I believe that these are sort of forms of nutrition. I believe that a strong relationship offers you, you know, and I wanted to sort of unpack the sort of neuroscience of this. Like, what is it that we're actually tasting? You know, if you think about when someone cheats on you, I mean, the feeling is like food poisoning. It's like someone fed you rotten values. So from a neuroscience perspective, when someone feeds you beauty, the beauty of their generosity and the smile, you feel promoted. When someone feeds you negativity and so forth, you feel poisoned. Is there some neuroscience to this? Well, I have to start by saying I think you actually pride yourself on coming up with something to shock me every single time we um, <laughs> do an interview together. And well done. I think you actually surpassed yourself with that's, that one. That's definitely my goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, we definitely experience people through the five senses and also through physical, well, you know, including through physical contact. And there is, we talked a little bit about the stress hormone and how you can, you know, leaders can infect the atmosphere around them. There is a bonding hormone called oxytocin, which is related to love and trust and joy and excitement. And that comes more from eye contact, from listening, paying attention and physical contact, like handshaking, hugging and kissing. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'd have to say from a scientific point of view, you've used a beautiful metaphor. Um Although we do actually do things like smell each other and, you know, sort of um, at the impact of even handshaking on the sort of sweat exchange and um, the sort of pheromones that we exchange through that is probably more than we know at the moment. Um, I would agree with you that this analogy should be taken as far as if you feel drained or poisoned after time with someone, then it might be that decluttering negativity from your life includes not spending time with certain people. I, the, the main thing I would come back to on this is mindfulness. So what you think and how you feel as a result of interactions with other people is much more down to you than it is necessarily to that other person and what they do. So it's, you know, this whole idea about how they make you feel. I think we should be taking more power back to ourselves and practicing mindfulness so that we can challenge our own thoughts and feelings and channel them in the right direction as well. Um, I think that's truly, you know, sort of, that's the way to be delicious about people um, oh, and wow. about yourself. <laughs> that's the perfect way to close this. Thank you so much. And I'd love your feedback. It's taraswart.com. So T-A-R-A-S-W-A-R-T.com. Please check it out and let me know what you think. We've um, awesome. My team and I have put a lot of hard work into making it look beautiful. It doesn't smell. You can't touch it. Um, but I think there are some videos you can look at and listen to on it. So there you go. Thanks so much, Dr. Swart. Please go back and listen to this episode again and share it with someone you care about. The fact is, we are social creatures and there is not a single successful person who has ever accomplished anything meaningful who did it alone. I would appreciate if you also leave a comment and rate the show. Because by doing so, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you are listening, they will promote the show because you engaged. That's how the algorithms work. Finally, feel free to email me, podcast at timothymaurice.com. Thank you. Until next time.